from the New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in East Dublin, Georgia. This is the podcast. Charles Richardson joins the podcast to comment on the day's news. Recorded live at Mama's Breakfast and Barbecue in Macon, Georgia, Charles gives a COVID-19 update and shares his informed opinion on raising the debt ceiling, redistricting, and the life of Henry Aaron. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to the podcast. And uh, our second session with Charles Richardson has come around, and it is a pleasure to have you here, sir. Pleasure to be here. All right, great. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, COVID update. COVID update, is, it's, it, it, it is better in some respects and worse in others. The hospitals in area region seven, which would include Warner Robins, Macon, all the way down uh, uh, probably into uh, just shy of Statesboro, the hospital uh, usage is down. But here's the case. At Atrium on uh, yesterday, there were 79 hospitalized for COVID. Uh, 75 of them were unvaccinated. There are 18 in the ICU, 17 were unvaccinated. Uh, now over at Piedmont, that used to be Coliseum, uh, they're showing similar numbers, uh, 25 in the ICU, 24 of them unvaccinated. Uh, down at um, Houston Healthcare, uh, 19 are in the ICU, 13 are unvaccinated. And as far as the rates are concerned, Bibb County is at 41%. Vaccinate, fully vaccinated. Housing County is also at 41%. Lawrence County is at 40%. Jones County is at 40%. Hancock County at 45%. And Monroe County at 42%. So we're still not getting up into that 60%, 70% that we need for herd immunity. And people are still dying. And this tells us now that this is a virus or an epidemic of the unvaccinated. It, definitely, definitely. You know, no vaccine is 100%. So that's why you do have some people in the hospital that were vaccinated. But the fact is, is if you are unvaccinated, your chances of going into the hospital, getting real sick, being put on a vent are way higher if you're unvaccinated than if you're vaccinated. Wow. Now, I'll be interested when we talk again in, in roughly a month. Mm -hmm. uh, will those figures move and will that be uh, any, any uh, movement because of the fact that employers now have to vaccinate their employees if they're more than 100 uh, people. And also, if, uh, if uh, the FDA approves the vaccine for lower age kids. Mm -hmm. Well, to give you an example, last month when we talked, the percentage of Georgians vaccinated didn't change. So it, that number moves very slowly unless you have that compelling reason to get vaccinated. Uh, this past weekend, the first weekend in October, um, you know, New York has a vaccine mandate for all public school public school employees, teachers, administrators, janitorial, kitchen, and 18,000 got vaccinated the first weekend. Okay. Um, and they're in the they're in the middle to low 90s uh, percent vaccinated in their system, and that's what it's going to have to take here. Uh, but you know. New York is the largest school system in the country. Right behind them, the second largest, California, they're going to do the same thing in just a little, little while and require all of the school personnel to get vaccinated. And it will just become, 
a vaccine that is on the approved list of vaccines that people and kids have been doing for years to go into public school. For years and years. And, uh, you know, there's even some folk in the military that don't want to get vaccinated, although they have to. But the ideology is so instilled in them, they're ready to throw away their military careers because to get kicked out of the military for not being vaccinated, that's a dishonorable discharge. So they're willing to throw all that away and to get deployed, they have to take 16 or 17 vaccines anyway. Wow. So what's one more? Yeah, what's one more? Now, this is a little of a side in this, but what do you think about NBA players now as the, as the NBA season is getting started? Some NBA players have not kind of identified themselves as vaccined or not vaccined. Mm -hmm. And in and, and many of these cities that they're going to go play in, if they if they don't have uh, declared vaccination status, they may not be able to play. Well, they may not be able to play, and why would a team not want their star players to play? Well, look at the legal liability that you open yourself up to if player A comes in the city and and starts a super spreader event. You know, I don't know how that would work legally, because you can say the same thing for colleges. You know, we got full stadiums all over the country on Saturday afternoon, and. If you can count five masks in a stadium, I I'll give you twenty bucks because you don't you don't see anybody. <laughs> I didn't see any, I didn't see that many masks in Athens uh, no, this Saturday. No. And uh, Clark County uh, has a low vaccination rate too. Wow, my goodness! All right, so that's our COVID update. Mm -hmm. I want to talk now about a subject that I did a podcast on a while back ago: reapportionment. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about first. Give us a primer. What is it? And then let's get into the nuts and bolts. Well, the basic thing is required by the Constitution that a census is taken every, every decade, every 10 years, and uh, people are elected by reapportioned population, meaning 10 years ago, Macon Bibb County probably had, oh, let's just say 10,000 fewer people than it has now. So that population has to be shifted into a direction under certain guidelines so that everybody's vote counts equally. And right now, I think in, for our congressman, that's about 450,000 uh, voters. So with that in mind, look at what, what's happened in Georgia. Atlanta is growing like a weed after a thunder shower. A lot of other places in the state aren't growing like that. You've got rural areas that have lost population. Austin Scott's district has lost population. Sanford Bishop's district has lost population. So where are they going to make these lines so that every vote counts equally? It's a tough job, but it's a lot easier today using computers than it was 20 years ago when they were still basically trying to do things by hand. Right. And now the state legislature, the General Assembly, will come into session, I believe, in October? No, I, I think it's November. November. Okay, I think you're absolutely right. It is November that they're going to come into a special session, and that session is dedicated toward drawing the maps. Right. A preliminary map has come out, mm -hmm. and, and let's just talk on the top line, the congressional map. Mm -hmm. A preliminary map has come out, and uh, political gerrymandering is, <laughs> is legal, correct? Yes, it is. And, and, and for our audience, I know our audience is well-informed, what is political gerrymandering? What is gerrymandering? Well, basically, it's forming those districts so that you have a competitive advantage against any the other party's candidate. For instance, if, if let's say, say Bibb County, you cut that in half. Uh, how do you cut that? Do you cut it in the half that's got more black voters? Or do you cut it in the half that's got more white voters? 
Well, if you're a Republican, you're going to cut it in half that has more white voters. And that is legal. That's legal. That's legal. But it's, it's, it's legal, but it's, it's covered up with the mass of we're trying to design the district so that everybody's vote is equal. But they're, 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 for instance, Austin Scott's district now comes up through middle Georgia, wraps around uh, South Macon, East Macon, and West Macon, and grabs North Macon. Why? Well, there are more white voters in North Macon than there are African American voters. So you can always, and it is always for the party's tool to hold on to political power. How do we get reelected is their number one priority all the time. And that's not just the folks in Georgia, that's the folks everywhere. And it doesn't mean Democrat or Republican. Everybody's political future is what they're concerned about most. Yeah, absolutely. So what can, if you're not a Republican, if you're not in a majority at the legislature, what can one do or what can citizens do to have an input into the drawing of these maps? Well, I'd love to be able to say they have a lot of influence, a lot of input, but quite frankly, they don't. Yeah, State Senator from here, John Kennedy, mm -hmm. uh, has, is heading the reapportionment uh, effort, and he held hearings, some mm -hmm. of them virtual, some of them real time, throughout the state. and. And heard from, from lots of people. Mm -hmm. Heard from lots of people, but quite frankly, when they get in that, in, in, in that state capital and they start carving up these maps, they're looking for first, what's my district look like? And how are the vote counts in my district? What do they look like? Now, there are going to be some might be left out in the cold. It depends on how buddied up they are with, with the leadership. Because there, there are some Republicans that are looking. They, they could put two Republicans side by side and they have to run against each other. Uh, in Congress, you don't even have to live in your district to get elected for that district. And because until they draw the lines, they don't know what district they're going to be in. So you can have some people that voted for you before, some people that may not know your name. Wow. So can you, I'm going to ask you to do some handicapping. Uh, how do you think at least the congressional maps, particularly like the 6th Congressional District where Lucy McBath mm -hmm. is, and then uh, Carolyn Bordeaux, I believe, seven. is in the seventh. Uh, will the Republicans do anything with those two districts to make them more competitive? Certainly. Probably more with uh, uh, McBath's district. One of, see, the way the population is in Atlanta, they can't do too much to it because it messes with their Republicans. So they can only make so many changes. They'll either make one a, a sort of a non-competitive district for Republicans and then put the other one in jeopardy. But there's no way they can do both. They can't take all the power away from the Democrats in those districts and they can't put all the Republicans in those districts because it screws up everybody else. Wow. And 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 you can't, I, I guess you can model population a little bit because uh, even if you draw those districts to make them, let's say Lucy McBath district, what I heard is they're going to put Forsyth County in that mm -hmm. district to make it a little bit more uh, competitive for the Republicans. In 10 years, the population shifts. Well, that's something that they're going to have to consider because remember, the, the maps they're drawing now go all the way down to the census tract. They can tell you, well, you got 100 people in this census tract and 80 of them voted Democratic. So those are the folks we <laughs> want to get, get out the way if you're a Republican. But you're exactly right. The population shifts are, being, are so drastic in certain areas it may be fine for a Republican for four years. 
and then it just might get blown up. Because how many years ago did you think that uh, Cobb County was a red county? Absolutely. It's not red anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and deeply turning blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's what they're trying to, they're trying to practice, get, get around so that they can, one, hold on to power. So let's talk a little bit about the debt ceiling or the infrastructure bill or your view of what's going on in Congress right now. Let's first talk about the debt ceiling. Well, let's just say you and I, we're, we're, we're roommates, and I borrowed some money from you, and I'm now telling you I might not be able to pay you back. Well, the United States is a, a borrower of money, and if you don't raise the debt ceiling, you're telling somebody that I might not be able to pay you back. Now, just between us, we just might get into a scuffle, but when this happens on a nation's side, we have to continue to borrow and borrow and borrow to pay our bills. We are a good credit risk. But all of a sudden, you say you're not going to pay your bills? Well, the folks say, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, may- maybe you're just, you're just not, not credit worthy. You might have to go down here to uh, AJ's Market to get, get your loan, and it's going to cost you 10%. Now, 10% on even our salaries is a pretty big hit. But can you imagine if we're able to borrow money at 3% now and it goes up to 5%? That's a huge jump because we're borrowing billions of dollars a day. So if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we're stuck. And we're able to impact this right away. If we can't pay our bills, Social Security checks won't go out. Now, that's going to affect a lot of people. And nobody is going to be happy. Particularly seniors who, who vote. Right. So, but what's going on right now is, is they, they passed a, a temporary resolution, uh, a CR, mm-hmm. to, to kind of kick it down the can, I believe, until December 3rd or so. Right. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans are saying, okay, we know that we'll let you guys pass the debt ceiling, but we're not going to help you any with the procedural votes that have to happen for the debt ceiling to, to occur. And so they're basically in the Senate running a filibuster. Well, they're exactly. And what they're saying is, we, 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 if you pass it, it's going to have to be under reconciliation. Right. That means it'll be all on you. And but, the Democrats are willing to do that. Oh, but, you know, if they, if they do that, I think they have a great campaign to take off from that. Yeah, we had to do it because your Republicans wouldn't. And, and they know and, that they have to do it. And, and this is for past debts, not future debts. Right. And, and taxes were cut, right. and that's part of, we, we, we're taking in less revenue, but we still have to borrow this money. Right, and at the same time, that, that wealth gap between those that have and those that have not is widening. It's widening, getting wider. Uh, there was a statistic I saw, I think it was Jeff Bezos, uh, where in 2010, he was worth $6 billion. Well, in 2020, he's worth $22 billion. Uh, that, that gap and those tax cuts helped in that figure. So billionaires uh, and some millionaires made money during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Oh, for, you know, if, if I had been smart, which I'm not, particularly when it comes to the stock market, I would love to have stock in Pfizer, love to have stock in uh, Moderna, love to have stock in J&J. Those vaccines are being bought up by the government at the, 
you know, have you heard what the price of one shot is? No, I've not. I've heard everything from 100 to 150 bucks. So they're raking it in. And is it necessary? Yes, it's necessary because this thing is something we hopefully will never see in our lifetimes again. But there's a lot of money out there being made. Mm. And now prices for just about everything is higher. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, apply, the supply chain has been affected. It's, mm -hmm. it's difficult to get things. I, I was talking, believe it or not, to an undertaker the other day. And he was telling me how difficult it is to get caskets. Mm -hmm. Plus, you've got over 700,000 people that have died since January 2020. That's a lot of people. And every community in this country has been affected. And when you're not producing, keeping up with that, well, you know, at, at first, as a pastor, you know this, a funeral is one of the hardest things that you have to do. And when the family can't hug and console each other, it just, I know it just breaks your heart. Absolutely. Yeah, it breaks your heart. And that has been replayed over and over and over 700,000 times. You know, and I'm, I think sometimes we forget the impact, not only on the person that's deceased, but that whole family tree. You know, you've just chopped off a limb. And in many cases, it's more than one person in the family. Uh, when this thing first broke out in, in, down in Albany, uh, members were there for a funeral, and a lot of them died, including the pastor. Yeah, it's just, and they didn't know what they were dying of at the time. Make a joyful noise to the Lord is the wonderful and important call to worship, known by many in Psalm 100. An equally wonderful and important call is also made in the third stanza, when the songwriter reminds us to know that the Lord is God and that we are the sheep of his pasture. God loves us. God wants to take care of us and God wants us to bask in the protection of his pastor. So where's God's pastor? Is it in heaven? Is God pastor someplace on earth? If God pastors some state or being? Well, the truth is this. God's pastor is wherever we are, for God is ever present with us. And if we have accepted Jesus, God is in us, meaning we radiate peace, joy, and the love of God. So make a joyful noise to the Lord, for we are the sheep of God's pasture. So um, I want to kind of segue. This is uh, one of the things I want to add to our segment is... Uh, books mm -hmm. and uh and i asked you prior to the to our getting together what are you reading these days and let's let's talk about that well uh, i'm reading peril by bob woodward and robert costa and, robert costa. and it seems like a little inside ball now costa now is his writing partner i guess mm -hmm. and and maybe his designated successor Successive. okay yeah uh i've written i've read every book that woodward has put out uh it's they're all detailed they're all uh, you know, you think it's you get stuck in the mud. No, he's, he's an excellent storyteller. How all these things came together, and basically what the book is about is we were closer to a, a coup in January than I think any of us thought. That it was a planned coup, uh, and so that's what that book is about. The other one 
is uh, by Michael Besloss, who's a, he's a presidential historian it's called uh, Presidents at War, where he talks about eight different presidents and how they either got us in the war, continued the war, or got us out of war, mm. uh, and, and how all that happens. Uh, so both of them very, very interesting. Great, great. What's uh, on your list? Uh, <laughs> what's on my list? Uh, I'm, I'm reading a couple books. The first book I'm reading is called Blood on the Root. Mm -hmm. And that's a book that we're going to be uh, doing for the New Bethel Book Club on October 16th. And this book is the story of Forsyth County, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And uh, Forsyth County is was, up until probably the early uh, 2000s, all, all white. white. That's where Oprah had her... Her, her, her town mark. hall, yeah, yeah, hall. yeah, and uh, and how did it get to be all white? Well, it kind of talks about the story of there was a uh, a killing there, and the killing took place. A young uh, white girl was was raped and, and and left for dead, and later died. And so, uh, who were the perpetrators of that rape? Must have been some black people. Let's go round them up. Oh. And, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> And so they did. One was uh, one was lynched before the, uh, the the trial happened, and then the other two were hung within uh, uh, several months. So they, they had speedy trials back in 1912 mm -hmm. or so. Uh, and uh, then another young lady was killed, uh, raped, and murdered. Let's go round up some more black people. And uh, there were about less than 2,000 black people in the entire county. And then what happened was. They decided, the, the, the white vigilantes decided, well, let's go get all these people out. And so the night riders came, uh, they forced people out, uh, they took their land, they took their, uh, they burnt down churches, um, uh, took crops that were in the field, harvested themselves, took their livestock. And, and then uh, for the succeeding generations, uh, if a black person so much as ran through the county, uh, uh, there was repercussions. But the interesting thing about this, Charles, those murders, they didn't stop. They had to have any excuse they could to kill black people. It's, it's, I may have told you this story already. My family comes from a little place called Kibla, Arkansas. It's right off Highway 64, back in a, they call it the hollow, Red River runs out about 35 miles north of Shreveport. And back in the 20s, um, a deputy sheriff decided he was gonna go down there and teach those Negroes a lesson. Well, they found him the next morning hanging from a tree out by the highway. Uh, Kibla was a place of refuge for black people because to get in trouble, all you had to do was breathe. But they, the law would not go into Kibla because they knew that those Negroes back there, they don't play. And to this day, the five families that form Kibla still own 165 acres per family, and the police still afraid to go down to Kibla. Wow, that is that is fascinating. That is fascinating. Well, maybe I need to move to Kibla. That that may be a good place. Well, to it's it's really you know except that the the weather is not real conducive. Okay. When it rains, it really rains. Okay. Okay. You know? I'm also rereading a biography of Henry Aaron by Howard Bryant. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, I am a huge sports fan and uh, a baseball fan. I'm a big baseball fan, believe it or not. And uh, Hank Aaron is my guy. Mm -hmm. uh, not only because of his excellence on the field, uh, 
Um, if you take away the 755 homers, he still has over 3,000 hits. He, he, but, but because of the type of man he was, and uh, Bryant talks in great detail how when Aaron finished playing, uh, that's when Aaron started making his money. Mm-hmm. He made, he died a, a millionaire mm-hmm. and made real money after his playing days uh, and, uh, and then took that money and did so many philanthropic causes, he and Billy Aaron. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I've always been, I've, I, I never had the opportunity to meet him. He's the only baseball player I've ever wanted to really meet. And if I ever met him, uh, I would not talk about baseball. Well, I can tell you this. I, have, I had met him uh, one time, but shaking his hand is what I remember. I got fairly good-sized hands, and it, it's like his hand just enveloped my hand. <laughs> and I said, well, I can know how the bat feels like now. Wow, <laughs> Being, wow. You know, he had very powerful hands, always smiling, just, just a gracious human being. And for what he went through and maintained his sanity, yeah. is, you know, death threats. They kept all the letters. Uh, it's just, um, it lets you know how sick this country is and was. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, would, I would absolutely agree. Now, you, you know how, he, how his hands got so strong. His father was a bricklayer. That'll do it. Yeah, and so back in Mobile, he was laying bricks with his father. And so, yeah, that's precisely how his hands got so strong. And his brother, Tommy, uh, who was a major league baseball player, got so strong as well. Yeah. Well, we have come to the, the end of our show today, but this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that uh, you will join us again and regale us next month, uh, and we'll talk about the issues of the day. And so uh, thanks again. You're welcome. You have a great one. Podcast is a production of Tudor Point Theological Media Corporation, in association with the New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in East Dublin, Georgia. A great team that put together this podcast includes Annie Ingram, Erica Bland, and Chandler Bland. Mel Bland is the executive producer of Tudor Point Theological Media. NBC Dublin is your 24-7 worship center for New Bethel. There you will find sermons, blogs, podcasts, videos, and commentaries. I really hope that you will check it out. And you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Amazon Music. I'm Marvin Bland, and you've been listening to the podcast. And until the next time we upload, blessings, peace, and love. Thanks. It's your faithful giving to New Bethel that has allowed us to do God's work. You can give to New Bethel by texting NBC150 to 888-364-4483. You can also give online at www.nbcdublin.com or you can mail your contribution to Post Office Box 1690, Dublin, Georgia, 31040. 
Blessings and thank you.